Amen. Good morning. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Let's, let's give the Lord another round of applause this morning for this worship, man. These guys. You probably noticed, like, I'm so thankful for our team. They, they came in, and the church looks great. And so this morning, just walking through the lobby and hearing the piano, and those of you who made it to the hot chocolate, some of you just come for the hot chocolate. Let's be real. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So the weekend after Thanksgiving, cold and wet, and we're in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? So we do pray you had a great Thanksgiving with your family. It's always amazing when family arrives, and it's always amazing. You said it, whatever. And so I pray you had a great Thanksgiving. And now as we move into the Christmas season, I shared last week the, the plan this morning is we're going to go to 1 John. So if you've got your Bibles, go there with me if you will. We're going to continue in our series this morning in the light. We're going to finish chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to cover uh, kind of a section of verses here, verse 11 all the way through the end of the chapter. But I promise we'll make it. I promise we'll make it. And so again, as we move into this Christmas season, next week we're going to begin a new series. I'm excited to do a character study. I did this years ago, looking at Christmas through the eyes of the different characters. And so we're going to do a character study for four weeks. Uh, so we'll pause here in First John, and then we'll come back uh, and pick up chapter four in the new year. You know, it's one of those things where now you're moving into the Christmas season and it's everywhere. One of the things that in my family, like my nieces love, are those Hallmark movies. Do y'all like those cheesy, like, you know, come on, like really? I, how many people, let me see how many dudes are confident in their manhood right now. How many guys and ladies, raise your hand if that's what you do. You watch these Hallmark. All right, I give mad respect. I give it to you. All right. My niece loves them. And then you just look at some of these titles, like, you know, the Royal Christmas, where she found the 12 Dates of Christmas was one of the titles. And, and it all centers around the subject that we've been studying, the subject that we celebrate here, that we celebrate at Easter, that we celebrate every day. It's the subject of love. It's love. And we watch those movies, right? And we're intrigued because of the love story. Let me explain to you, man, what, what we celebrate at Christmas is the greatest love story. Amen. It's the greatest love story. And I pray you see that in Christmas because, again, we talk about being captivated, right? There are so many things that can captivate us. And if you're anything like me, I'm easily captivated. Like, I'm the dogging up that just goes squirrel, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's me. And so I can easily, you know, be distracted, and I think as we move into this Christmas season, this is where the Lord has just impressed on my heart because I've been excited about Christmas and all the things of Christmas and I felt this just pause to not miss the message of Christmas, to not miss it, right? To not miss what the whole, to not miss the love story that it truly is, that it really all goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis 3:15, sin enters into humanity, right? Serpent tricks the lady, the lady's fall, Eve, and then Adam fell into it. That's the story in the Bible. Go read it. I'm just kidding, ladies, my bad. They both contributed. Can I get an amen? But God declared, right, right, you haven't won. He steps into the garden and says, no, there will be one who will come of the seed of the woman. That is the first prophecy of Christmas. It's the first prophecy of Jesus, that there will be one who will come. And it's a love story. And what we find this morning is this beautiful verse. And it's a verse that matches a verse that many of us is the first one we've ever memorized. John 3. Take your Bibles and stand with me if you would. The title of the message this morning is How Deep Is Your Love? And what we're going to find this morning is John is continuing to write to the church and he's authenticating faith. And he's saying, listen, if the love of God abides in you, it has to come out. And so what he is speaking of here is he is saying that if, if you've experienced the love and the spirit of God is living in you, you can't hate your brother. They can't coexist. And so he, again, he, he uses this contrast and we'll break this down 
because he actually uses a character from the Old Testament. But what I wanna do this morning is we're gonna read one verse and then we're gonna cover all of them. We're gonna read one verse, 1 John chapter 3, 16. But before we read it, let's, read, let's, let's, let's recite John 3, 16 as God's people together. We're one of the greatest declarations of God's word. You ready? Here we go. For Thank you. For God so loved the world. And in that love, he gave. And what we find in this passage is if you've experienced the love that he's gave, you're going to give the love that he's given. Look at 1 John chapter 3, and let's just read verse 16. We'll cover the rest. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. By this we know Love. Not the Hallmark movies kind of game in, all right? By this we know love. And we see love as the subject of everything. But he, you know, let's identify, by this we know love. Here is the, the originating place of love, the origin of love. Because he did something. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for each other. Join with me as we go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, will we pause this morning just with that central truth you love us and you loved us so much that you gave us your son, Jesus. We thank you that you came into your own creation again, beyond what we can understand that you took on this temporary shell of flesh and, and, and bones and you lived in this tent, in this vessel, but you were not filled with sin. You were perfect. And we thank you that you fulfilled every holy standard of a father and then you died in our place. We thank you for that. And Lord, this morning, as we enter into the Christmas season, we pause to be captivated because by this we know we are loved. By this we know our identity and our value and our worth. By this we know love. Christ laid his life down for us. Lord, may we just pause there this morning and just give you praise for that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we understand that one of the main themes of this book is love, right, right? He's writing to authenticate faith. And he is saying, right, I don't care what they say in the assembly. I don't care that they've had this supernatural experience. If they have been given this new nature, and that's a key in this, right? Not just improved, but given a new nature, right? A new heart. He says they have to love. And if you want to find the evidence of someone who is truly following the Lord, they're going to have a desire for truth. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean they're going to be sinless, but they will sin less. They're going to have a desire to run from those things, that they now see with clear eyes. And one of the main subjects is how we love. And he says, listen, don't tell me that you know this Jesus, right? The one that I walked with. And that's what he says, right? He's writing this as an old man reflecting back to Jesus, reflecting back to the upper room. Like here he is saying, if you love, you ought to lay your life down. He saw it. He saw John 13 when he's on his hands and knees washing the feet of those disciples, Judas in the room. He didn't skip Judas. He didn't skip Peter knowing what was getting ready to happen. So it wasn't love because it was love in spite. And so he, he witnessed that. He saw that. That's the way he begins this letter. He wants them to know, I didn't get this secondhand. I saw Jesus. I touched him. I witnessed it. So don't tell me you know him and then hate your brother. And so what we find here is this contrast. And you see this in scripture all the time. Anytime you find like two individuals are, are two different subjects, you see it in Psalm 1 right? The godly man and the wicked man. You see it with individuals, uh, Saul and Esau, Cain and Abel, uh, David, and, uh, David and Saul, not Saul and Esau, uh, Esau and Jacob, David and Saul. You go to the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son, 
There's the contrast of the son who left and the son who remained. And so what we find here is John uses a contrast and he goes to the extremes. He uses the example of who? Cain. So I want you to see how he goes through this. Let's go to verse 11, if you would. First John chapter three, how deep is your love? We got a lot of verses to cover. Don't distract me with squirrels. Here we go, first John 3, 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. He just pauses right there and says, hey, no new message, right? There were some coming in with a new message. He says, let's just simplify this. We love the way Jesus loved. We love one another. This agape love, this God love is not something that we can stir up within ourselves. The point that he is saying, this is not a new message. Jesus came living, speaking, preaching love. And then he gives the example, look at verse 12. Not as Cain, who was, notice this, we've already said the two categories, the sons of the devil, the sons of God, he's distributed that already. Now he identifies Cain in one of those categories. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because these works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So this is the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. I'd encourage you to go back and read the story. You think about this. Cain was the first person ever born on this earth. First person with a belly button, right? I've always wondered that. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? There was no umbilical cord. God, anyway, so first one born, sea squirrel. First one born, like conception on the earth. He was the first physical birth of this planet. But the Bible says he was also the first what? Murderer. You have two kids. We can identify with this. Two kids, same home, same parents. Spiritually speaking, two different categories. You have Cain and you have Abel. If you go to Hebrews 11:4, you'll find this passage. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. So we know the story, right? God demanded a sacrifice, Cain and Abel. Cain says, no, I don't like the sacrifice that you're demanding from me, so I'm gonna give you a sacrifice. We can identify with this. I'm gonna give you a sacrifice, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna create it. Abel says, no, you've given me your standard. You've telling me what to do. I bring you my sacrifice. And the Bible says God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and rejected the self-centered sacrifice of Cain. And bitterness and hate began to reign in his heart to the point that he what? Murdered his brother. It's an amazing story that you see two kids, same home, same families, but going two different directions. And he uses this contrast to say, hey, Here's a great example of hate. First person ever born, not only murdered just a random person, murdered his brother. And then here's the example of love. Look at verse 13. He says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We see this repeated. Again, John's circularly speaking. We see this repeated. John, uh, Jesus uh, reiterated this in the upper room. If you go to John 15, 18, you'll find that he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So once again, John is saying, hey, don't be surprised by persecution. Let it encourage you. Let it actually encourage your heart that as you're facing persecution, as you're walking with the Lord, the enemy is trying to discourage you. The enemy is trying to cripple you. Just know the world's gonna hate you. Know that up front because it hated me. So if you claim Jesus and you claim to walk with Jesus and you claim to live for Jesus, the world is going to be against you. And he says, just know that. 
This goes back to John 15. All this comes back to abiding and we're gonna land there in a moment as he's walking with those disciples from the upper room, right? As he's walking to those disciples and he's teaching them and teaching them. And what does he say in John 15? It comes down to one thing, just abide in me. The branch don't go out looking for food. The branch don't go out trying to get, they just stick to the vine. And if they stick to the vine, the vine has promised to give all that they need. Can I get an amen? So he says, be different from the world. Stand out from the world. Love the world, but you're not of the world. And then look at what he says in verse 14. Why is that? Because we've passed from, notice this phrase. We've passed from, transfer. We've passed from what? Death to life. Because we love the brethren. And he who does not love the brethren abides in death. Know what he's saying here. He is saying the reason that someone can love someone that way is because it's the love of Jesus in them. They don't have it in themselves. And let's be real, right? There's some people, there's some situations, we don't have it within ourselves to love them. God's not calling us to love them and what we have in ourselves. God is calling us to love them through him. And what John is saying is this, if you find hate and envy and bitterness and jealousy, put them in the category of Cain and notice it's in the present tense. It's not just saying if you did that, it's saying if this is your routine, then here are the two categories. But we know he says, that we've passed from. This goes back to John 3. This is the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is so confused. I, I recognize you. I see you as the promised Messiah. I see your miracles. I see your teaching. What must I do? What does Jesus say? You must be born again. And that's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. That's only something God can do in the heart of someone who yields and surrenders. Not, it's not something we muster up. It's something we lay down. It's seeing our sins, recognizing our sins, acknowledging that Jesus paid for our sins and surrendering to him, not only as my savior, but as my Lord. And here is John speaking. You've passed from that. You used to hate. You used to be in the category of that. You ain't a hater no more. Can I get an amen? You're a lover now. And you're a lover in spite of. You're a lover not because of what someone has done. You're a lover because of what Jesus has done. And this all comes back to abiding. I'm gonna be real with you. Because there's some people in our lives who have hurt us, they've caused damage, and there's nothing in us to love them with what we have. That's okay, God's not calling you to. He's calling you to decrease so that his love can flow through you. Now remember Galatians 2.20 is the key to all of this, right? I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live. I remember my journey getting so frustrated trying to live for Jesus. And I heard Jesus say, I'm not asking you to live for me. I live through you. I'm asking you to get out of the way. I'm asking you to yield. I'm asking you to surrender. It's not the believer doing his best for Jesus. It's Jesus living his life through the believer. This all comes back to Jesus and abiding. And so John is saying, listen, if that's in a heart, you're not gonna find hatred. That's the category of Cain. If that's in a heart, if that's in their routine, they're not of the Lord because they've never truly experienced the love of Christ. Romans 5.5 5 is a beautiful verse. It says, the love of God has been, I love this, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There it is right there. There's the Holy Spirit in us that loves in Christ. Let me tell you something, I've witnessed this. I have witnessed someone coming to faith because of how someone loved in spite of. Early in my ministry, there was a situation in a family, big fallout. There were believers and there were some who were just straight up non-believers. And there was a big issue in the family. And I saw this man and woman love this brother in a way that they shouldn't have, in a way that he didn't deserve at all. But they loved him in the gospel. 
And it was about two years later that this dude came to faith in Christ. And I remember sitting down with him and he said to me, it stood out to me. It stood out to me that they didn't respond the way that other people normally respond. There was something different. And he said, I could not get over that. And I wonder how many times in our lives, right? God presents us an opportunity, but we're stressed out. We're in a hurry. We're not thinking of eternal things. We got plans. We got an agenda. We got a meaning. And yet God brings someone in front of us to just simply love, to just love at the checkout counter, to just love, to see them through the lens of Jesus when someone is hurting, to go put an arm around someone, to step out of myself and say, hey, God loves you, man. Watch what will happen. This is John saying, hey, I saw Jesus. I saw him do this. I saw him go, not to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He went to the broken. The church is not a country club for perfect people. This is a hospital for the broken. Can I get an amen? Jesus is our physician. Look what he says in verse 15. He who hates his brother, again, present tense, perfect tense, who is living in a place of hate towards his brother, look at what he says, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He connects what? Hate to murder. Just as Jesus connects lust to adultery. It connects, hey, if you think it, obviously the consequences are different, but there's a sin there. And so here he is saying that hate is on the road leading to murder. I remember Pastor saying, it was Adrian Rogers who said this, and this has stuck with me for years. He said this because I was damaged at the time. He said, let us go to Calvary to learn how to be forgiven, but let us linger there to learn how to forgive. I remember sitting out there when he said that. It was in that, the, the PTI, that pastor's training institute, about 40 of us. And I remember sitting there thinking, and when you sit at the cross for a little while, it's kind of hard to hold something against somebody. Can I get amen? When you spend some time there personally and you see you and I'm holding someone to a standard that God doesn't hold me to, I'm holding someone to a standard that, that, that God has forgiven and shown grace in my life. And here's an opportunity not to just lay down and be weak. Here's an opportunity to display the gospel. And Lord, I ain't got it in me. And so as I abide, may your Holy Spirit flow and may it be seen by someone who doesn't know you. And may it stand out as the love of Christ in me. And there's opportunities every day. And I walk away so many times going, man, I just live for the temporary, not for the eternal. And the Holy Spirit will show me that. You were so caught up in this today, it was an opportunity to simply just be a blessing to someone. Look at verse 16, by this we know love, by this we know love, by this we know love, because he what? Laid down his life for us. And also we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We have to understand this in the gospel. Jesus was not a martyr. Can I get an amen? Jesus was not a martyr. They did not take Jesus's life. He laid it down. And the Bible says that, right? He says in John 10, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. And when you really think about it, he's the only one who didn't have to die. He's the only person physically born on this earth who didn't have to die. For the wages of sin is, he had no sin. He's the only person ever walked feet on this earth who did not have to die, he had no sin. And yet he said, right, you're not taking my life at just the right time. At the appointed time, I will lay my life down for you. That's why I came. And here is John, I believe, reflecting back to the upper room. Here is John seeing Jesus hours away from the cross, caring for his friends concerned about his friends. 
brokenhearted because his friends are sad when he's getting ready to down a cross for them. So John is sitting over here, don't tell me you know love. And I think he spoke that and snapped his fingers. Don't tell me you know love and hate your brother. I saw Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I witnessed Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, now notice this phrase right here, and shuts up his heart and shuts up his fart for him. How does, I didn't mean to say that. How does the love of God, you missed it, abide in him? Now look at what he says here. He said there's a love in action here. All these people were claiming to have this encounter with God, but there'd been no change of nature. There'd been no transfer. There'd been no righteousness of Christ now living in them. And he's saying, hey, they claim this and they walk right past their brother in need and they only help him. They claim this, they claim that Jesus is, and again, he witnessed it. He saw Jesus go to the broken. He saw Jesus put his hands around those who were hurting. And so I believe John is saying, man, I'm calling you out. Don't tell me that the Holy Spirit resides and you're not even gonna meet the needs of your friends. He says, how does the love of God abide in him? Look at verse 18, my little children. This is the words of James. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed and in truth. Listen, it's one thing for me and for this church to say to this community, to this world, we love you. What do we do about it? It's one thing to proclaim it. And this is what he says. Like, that's easy to do. Do we have the eyes of Jesus as we're going through our weeks? Do we, do we have the heart of Jesus? Are we looking through the lens of Jesus? Or do we just got a day to get through? Are we missing divine opportunities because I got an agenda to accomplish? And he is speaking to the church and saying, listen, the spirit of God in the heart of a person will flow in the way that they love. Not just in word and tongue, verse 18, but in deed and in truth. Look at what he says, verse 19. This we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And hear this, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. The heart refers to the conscience. So what is he saying here? Think about this. You're walking with the Lord. You're trying to serve the Lord. You mess up. You stumble. You sin. The heart condemns. The heart condemns. The conscience condemns. And it keeps us, like it's like a child who is messed up to a father. You don't want to go into the presence of the father because you know you've been disobedient. So the difference is a child that's been obedient, doing what the father's told him, now he comes to the father with confidence. And we're going to see this word in a minute. But he is speaking of here of someone who is not abiding and therefore the heart condemns them, but yet the grace and the mercy of God is even greater than the condemnation of the heart. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Hear this, and he knows all things. The word condemn means to know against. So the heart knows against us and it condemns us. And here he is saying that God's love is even greater than that, that God's love still brings us into the presence of a father who displays mercy. Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said this, sometimes our heart condemns us, but in doing so, it gives us a wrong verdict. And then we have the satisfaction of being able to take the case into a higher court for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. I love that. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Don't miss this connection. Don't miss this connection. This word cannot, confidence goes back to chapter two, verse 28. It's that confidence of the second coming of Christ. This is not hopeful. It's knowing and expecting. 
So now he's connecting it to someone who's abiding. Now he's connecting it to someone who's loving in the Lord, seeking commandments, and he gives this promise. That if our hearts does not condemn us, now we have this confidence. It changes things. As you go to the throne, as the Bible tells us, with with boldness, you go to the throne of grace, you have confidence knowing that God's going to answer your prayers because he sees your heart. You know that you're not being selfish in it. You know that you're aligning to his purpose. And here is where it matches. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him. How? Because we're abiding, we keep his commandments, and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's the same promise Jesus gave in John 14. Ask and you shall receive. We know he's not talking about genie in a bottle. He's talking about a heart that aligns with his. Someone who literally says in the morning, you know what, Lord, not my day, but yours. Someone who can come to that altar of Romans 12, one and two and say, I wanna be a living sacrifice today. I want people to see the love of Christ in me despite my, my struggle, despite my storm. And he brings us back to this place, just abiding, just spending time with the savior, and knowing that we're confident when we ask according to his will. I remember years ago, someone saying, you know, we, sometimes we pray about you know, God's will in our life, the unknown areas. And I heard a pastor say, listen, you, you want God to, to, to answer your prayers in the unknown areas? You gotta be obedient in the known areas. He's revealed some known areas. And he's looking for those who are obedient in the known areas to reveal the unknown areas. And so here's the message of John. He is saying, listen, whatever we ask, we receive from him. We have confidence because we're asking according to his word. We're asking according to his Holy Spirit. We're asking according to the plan. We have confidence at his throne, knowing that he's going to answer our prayers. It may look different and it will than what we're asking. And I believe in the great theologian Garth Brooks. Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? (laughs) Praise God that he sees through what we can't see. And when you're abiding There's a confidence that comes. When you're not, it's lacking. When you know there's stuff in your life that the Holy Spirit has revealed as a child of God and you've not dealt with it before the Lord, you're not excited to go to the throne. You don't have confidence to go to the throne. And so the enemy tries to keep you over here in bondage and crippled. Here's John saying, no, the love of Christ flows. The chains have been broken. So now as you're abiding, you come to the throne expecting God to answer your prayers. Knowing he will, But his ways are not our ways, praise God, and his thoughts are not ours. Let's keep going. Look at verse 23. This is his commandment, and here it is, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, and he gave us his commandment. Do you remember when the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're like, what is the greatest commandment? They're trying to stump him. What does he say? To love God with your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there it is. You can take the entire Bible, Summarize it in that. You know, it's interesting. He connects joy to all this earlier in the writings. Now, I remember growing up as a kid learning that acronym J-O-Y. You ever learned that before? J-O-Y. The J stands for Jesus. Church, that's always the answer. Just say Jesus. You're going to be close, right? The J stands for Jesus. The O stands for others. The Y stands for yourself. It's kind of the greatest commandment. Jesus, you're first. I'm gonna lay my life down, sacrificially washing feet, right? There's the model. I'm gonna lay my life down, not because they deserve it, probably because they don't. 
but I want them to see the gospel and the way that I love and the way that I've forgiven them and my grace and my mercy. If I've experienced it personally, how can I not demonstrate it personally? And lesson again, it goes back to abiding, goes back to Galatians 2.20. There are some of you who are hurt and you've been carrying stuff. And I'll never forget the statement. It does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than the vessel in which it is poured. And what happens is it sits on you, you miss the love of God, you miss the freedom of his grace and mercy and forgiveness, and you walk around in a straitjacket. And here's John saying, no, go to the cross, see what it means to love, spend time there to show you how to love. Verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments, and this is what it comes down to right here, yes. Abides, it means to take residence. It's like sitting in a living room. How much abiding did you do this week? I know you had a lot going on, a lot going on. How much time did you just spend just, just with the Lord? Because let me tell you, man, this is the secret to it all. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of glad we're taking a break from First John. Can I just say that? Because it's been all up in my business for the last couple of weeks. I preach these messages. These are my messages. If you get something out of it, wonderful. These are messages that God is preaching to me. And First John is hard. You know, to love that way is not something that, again, comes natural to us. What comes natural is the opposite. You hurt me, I hurt you. I will remember that. And yet, if you go to the cross, all that stuff has to fade away. Like, seriously, I encourage you tomorrow morning, and I say it to start today because I think it's critical, to just get alone with the Lord. Just get alone with the Lord. Put, put everything aside. Put the dog in the crate. Do what you got to do. Get alone with the Lord. And before you even read any verses or anything, reflect on how loved you are. Like before you even step out, just reflect upon how loved you are, how valued, who you are in Christ. Just pause there. And just sit at the cross. I mean, I encourage you to sit there for a moment. John was the only disciple there. Let's go there. And I challenge you to see your stuff for real at the cross. I stand on the stage with a lot of stuff. And when you sit there, man, you can't help but be overwhelmed by grace. As you walk out the door, there are going to be those who are hurt you. The Bible says it's going to happen. And in that moment, right, we do what comes natural. We pause and we rest and allow the Lord to live through us. And we walk away encouraged with joy and peace. And guess what? There's a testimony to someone's life, you being Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to be Jesus. We're here to demonstrate Jesus. They see our magnets. They see our parking lot full. Do they see it at the checkout counter? Opportunities every week right in front of us. And I miss them often to just love someone the way I've been I didn't deserve it. It was in spite of me, I can assure you. To allow the love that's been poured out in our hearts, as Romans 5, 5 says, by the Holy Spirit, to just flow. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed. He's writing this again to authenticate those believers in the church. Ephesians 1.13 is a passage I'm sure you heard. It says this, in him you trusted, and after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, hear this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Whoa. Paul's there in the morning. Don't skip that. Don't skip who you are in Jesus and allow the enemy to distort and pervert it. Don't. And as we go through this season, let's not miss him. The greatest story of love and now an opportunity to show it. John says, by this, you will know because they'll love like Jesus. He says, I saw that love. Maybe here this morning and you've never taken a step of faith towards Christ. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. You can't imagine how loved you are. The Father would give his son for you. I remember being in seminary and the professor said, man, if God blesses you with children, it puts salvation in a little bit of a different category. To give up your child not to someone that loves you, but to someone who's spitting on you. That's the love that God has demonstrated. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken a step to that love, hear what I'm saying, you're not a thousand steps away, you're one. And you may have taken a thousand steps, you're one. And we have a God who is waiting patiently for you to turn to him. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I believe that's why God brought you here to hear of a savior who died for your sins and there had to be payment for it. God would cease to be holy. There would be no judgment. Jesus became that for you. Then he rose again. And the celebration of Christmas and Easter is a celebration of a deliverer who rescued us from our sins. And man, if you're here this morning, just cry out to him. Right where you're sitting, audience of one, you and the Lord, you can cry out, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn, give me the power. Give me your power to have victory over my sins. And I trust in you as my savior. I believe in you. But you lived, you died, and you rose again. Now I'm going to abide in you. And that's what he's calling you to do. Man, if you've done that, share that. My team here to the left, our spiritual response to your right. You want someone to pray with you, man, come. come. If you're struggling to love somebody, you might just need to grab somebody by the hand. Hey, pray for me that Christ may be seen in this situation, not me. So it can be a testimony of grace that I've experienced rather than what comes natural. May Jesus be seen. To believers in this place who are in the grind, abide. Don't be a branch out looking for things. Stay in the vine. Just remain, just remain. Just stay in the vine. Just stay there with him. Reside with him. Continue with him and expect him to show up, and he will. He will blow your mind to the ones who will yield their lives, fully yield their lives to the control of the Lord. I invite you to stand right where you are. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that this is love.
The world can talk about it and make movies about it and songs about it. We know what love is. This is love, that the perfect, innocent, righteous would die for the guilty, the sinful, and the unrighteous. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into your own creation. Thank you, Jesus, that what we celebrate at Christmas is the one who rescued us from our sins. Thank you, Lord, that you humbled yourself all the way to the cross, the Bible says, and you conquered it. And today, right now, you sit in a place of victory at the right hand of the Father we proclaim interceding for us. May we walk in that each day. Ah, may we walk in that each day. May we love in that each day. May we love in that each day. May we earnestly look for opportunities each day to display the love that we've experienced. May that be our prayers in the morning, and may we see the divine appointments that you arrange for us to be Jesus in someone's life. May it be for your glory and honor, we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. We're going to sing these words and proclaim. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.